Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the whole cast. Jack Grimsey alongside Robert Lintot, as always, and another win for Aston Villa again over West Brom. Robert, would you? What do you think? On to Wembley. I, I, again, ecstatic. On to Wembley, like you say. Uh, two wins over West Brom in the course of a week makes me a very happy Villa fan. And two goals in each match. So, like, what is going on? Four goals in the span of a week. I mean, can you imagine that happening at any other point in this season? No, I, yeah, I don't think it's happened. Like, a, it's just, I don't know, crazy. The Sherwood effect is in full swing. Yeah, BBC wants you to believe in the magic of the cup, but I'm a full believer in the magic of the Sherwood. Yeah, I've been seeing on Twitter a lot. Um, Aston Villa form in March, two wins. Uh, Real Madrid form in March, two losses. Everyone's saying, like, Squawka. Uh, BRUK was saying that. I think, think it's just... Um, Redemption for Ronaldo goals this season, Aston Villa goals this season, those stats. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. Uh, but what it really tells me is uh, bring on Real Madrid. I think we're yeah. ready. Schalke handled them the other day, so... Yeah, exactly. I, I think Schalke's got this like team they're, they're really out of form, so... <laughs> Maybe in the cup final. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have a crisis like Real Madrid? <laughs> yeah, oh no. Bale is getting attacked by the media. <laughs> Must be tough. Oh, yeah. God, we've only won how many games this season? And, uh, 90% of them. Yeah, poor guys. That's that's <laughs> rough life they lead. We should yeah, all be so lucky. And uh, I guess back back to the cup match, it was without Benteke. Yeah. And, I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't had a great season, obviously, or or even a good season, but I think it's still still important that the team was able to do something without him. Yeah, absolutely. Although, I like like you hint at, I think you could make the argument that Aston Villa have played most of the season without Benteke. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, when he's when he's in the lineup, or when he's out of the lineup, I guess they can really kind of focus, try to focus on just shutting down Gabby or who's ever up there. When when he's in, in the team, obviously they're going to be a bit more dangerous. Yeah. At least other, other teams are going to recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. But the the one thing that Villa constantly did on Saturday uh, that they haven't done with Menteke in the lineup that you would expect them to do with Menteke is draw defenders and create space. Yeah, and I think I think that's a bit more of Sherwood's tactics kind of coming in into play more now that they're a little more familiar with it. But yeah, that that's a good point. Yeah, I mean it's it's that, that very first goal. Uh, when you see Scott Sinclair make that cutting run from the left to the right, uh, he drags those defenders with him and leaves the entire left side open for Fabian Duff to just calmly jog into. Um, it's, you know, that run from Sinclair is sort of like what you would expect to see if Benteke were running around there. Yeah, yeah, so more than one defender having to focus on him and obviously give up some other responsibilities to stop that threat. But it was good from Duff. It was his first goal in almost a year. And yeah, absolutely. Really, I think we need to see more of it. His first goal since that gorgeous Chelsea wonder goal. Yeah, and last season he scored really a couple spectacular goals. Yeah, so maybe maybe this gets him kick-started for this year, especially now that he's got the armband back. Yeah, and I don't know, he put in a really good performance as well overall, even outside of the goal. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was running around. He was, I think, the most creative player in the first half, which doesn't say a lot, but I think he was doing the, the lion's share of the work in the first half. Yeah, he, he, I don't know, a lot of running, a lot of passing, and I mean, it's, it's really lucky, actually, that Villa got to half at nil-nil. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the difference in the two halves was that movement that I was talking about. In the first half, you saw them sort of playing like they did in that first half against Hull, where they had all the possession in the world and got to the edge of the box and froze. Um, yeah, it just didn't, didn't look like going in the box, doing anything with it. Yeah, and, and this time it was more excusable, because West Brom's defense had four central defenders, and every time Villa got into their own half, the midfield just collapsed to the edge of the box, too. So it wasn't entirely Villa's fault, but you saw a lack of desire to move around. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's a good point. And really, I mean, I think I think the midfield was good though. The Delph, Westwood, and Cleverly—they're—they're they're playing solidly together. Mhm. Mm yeah, absolutely. They're—they're they're making uh, good decisions. I thought the uh, sub of Sanchez for Cleverly was great. I thought it was one of those occasions where it wasn't a sub because one player was playing poorly. It was a sub because it changes your tactic and makes you play in a different way. 
Yeah, and because Cleverly went out there and busted his ass for 65 minutes. He did look exhausted coming off. Yeah. Um, the the first half, the uh, the Brownie Day uh, chance was really yeah, West Brown's chance yeah. at putting this thing away. That that definitely should have went in, and obviously they went on to regret it, I guess. But yeah, absolutely. They they had a few good chances. I'm I'm hard pressed to feel too badly. Because if you remember, Villa could have gone into uh, Tuesday's match at up for nil at halftime. Exactly. It was it was kind of the opposite, really. I mean, I guess both times West Brom kind of controlled the opening 10, 15 minutes. But, uh, yeah, last Tuesday, like you were saying, Villa really, after that, they turned it on and just dominated the first half. West Brom, it was a little less dominant, but they definitely could have had a couple goals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they could have had that. They could have had that Julian Lescott header. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, Luska missed that because that was a really good chance. Yeah, and Luska's a good goal scorer too. One year for Everton, he had nine goals. Yeah, exactly. And and he was in the right position for it, and he should have hammered it in. Um, but you know, puts it what a foot wide, if that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, beaten, but... it pinged off of the post that holds the net up in the back. Yeah, yeah. It was sort of an incredible moment there. Um, what was your highlight of the match? Um, I don't know. I think this the second goal, just to cap it off. But I, also, Grealish getting sent off was hilarious. What? Say that again? Grealish getting sent off was hilarious. And obviously a makeup call for Jakob. Which... I've, yeah, I've seen people saying that Grealish was looking for a foul, and I don't buy that in the slightest. I mean, I think everyone's looking for a foul when you're trying to beat the last defender, but I don't think he flopped, no. No, and and I don't think, you know, I think in order to be a dive, you sort of have to look for it and try to get to the, you know, the ref. And the ref didn't even give Grealish yeah, time. Yeah, didn't turn around and look at the ref. Yeah, I mean, he actually ended up turning around and looking at the ref, but that's because the ref was holding out the card. I mean, as soon as Grealish hit the ground, the ref whipped out that yellow card. It's like, how how can you possibly say he was diving there? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it was de- it was definitely not the best game by the referee. And and the Jakob like, red is just utter bullshit. It was yeah. I was shocked when that was a card. I'm I'm not even sure if he touched Bakuna. No, and it, like I don't know what he was doing. He was just on the ground. He'd won the ball. Mm-hmm. Trying to like. But that, that's all right. I mean, I I don't think I don't think West Brom would have came back from that. I mean, obviously, probably contributed a bit to the second goal, but it looked like Villa were going to win that. And the second goal I mean, the, was the uh, the next best thing to Grealish getting a goal, which was Grealish setting up the goal. Yeah, that was it. Was a great assist, really. Yeah, a brilliant run. I mean, he just saw the opportunity and took off like a bolt, and then he got paced by Scott Sinclair, who I'm beginning to think may be one of the fastest players in the Premier League. It's it's starting to look like that. I mean, no one really thought he was the fastest guy. He was more of a... I mean, but that's just because he was at Swansea, and they passed more, I think. Yeah, I've, I've never in my life thought of him as a pacey player, and on Saturday, he... I said this, I think, in my write-up. He looked like vintage Gabby. It was incredible how fast he was. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think he's been playing really well. I was actually looking at uh, we did the January transfer grades, of course, and I gave him an A minus. But um, ready to bump that to an A? Yeah, I, I think so. But James James only gave him a C, and I thought that was a bit harsh, but. And yeah, I'd I'd wrote bonus. He is an FA Cup tied and comes in with two goals, so that's it's really been huge. Yeah, absolutely. Three goals and four appearances for us. Yeah, and apparently he's looking at houses in Birmingham, so maybe thinking about staying. Which... I couldn't find in any of the stories, but I distinctly remember when we got him, we had the option to buy at the end of the season, but I couldn't find that anywhere. Am I misremembering no, that? No, we 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 do have the option to buy. Right. As far and... as I remember. And the way he's been playing, that's an option you take. Yeah, I think that's that's the first signing you make in the summer, really. Yeah, although we do have a history now with Bertrand and Cleverly of loan signings starting off looking really good and then sort of 
downhilling. But then what's he going to do, go back to City and they're going to have to find someone else to sell him to? Yeah, it's true. So but, I mean, yeah, that's that's a good point that they that they start off hot and then kind of degrade. But I don't know, Cleverly's back on the up, I would say. Yeah, it's a new era. Everything's new under Tim Sherwood. Yeah. I I am uh so on board the Tim Sherwood era right now. I just I absolutely love everything I'm seeing from him. Yeah, I think I mean everything except Carlos Heel, but we'll get to that later, but bringing back Petrov I mean, actually getting the team to score goals. I don't know. I think I think he's doing and saying a lot of the right things. He seems like a crazier fan than Jack Woodward, even. Yeah, he's he's just going nuts on the touchline, and he's he's passionate about it. He loves it. He says stupid things. He does stupid things. He's turned Aston Villa into almost a heel, and God damn it, if I don't love it. Yeah, actually, like our I was gonna we're gonna get to Twitter questions later, but Adam Clark. One of our writers sent us one, uh, Sherwood's media antics, clever mind games, or an insatiable self-publicist? I think it's the latter that turns into the former. Uh, so I think he's an insatiable self-publicist, and they're not clever mind games, because clever means he's doing it intentionally. I think they're just mind games that happen uh, to spring out of his own self-promotion. Yeah, not he's not going full Mourinho. Maybe not even smart enough to do that, but... That's the thing. I'm not convinced that he's really the brightest guy in the world, but you don't need Einstein to manage a football club. No. You need you need a guy who understands football, which Sherwood clearly does, and you need a guy who can motivate players, which Sherwood clearly can do. I mean, hell, he motivates the fan base, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, you were saying to the players what, um, like, or about the fans, why should they have to cheer? We have to make them cheer. Exactly, yeah. Um, I mean, and it's incredible how quickly the atmosphere has turned around. Even before the two wins against West Brom, um, if you compare what it was like talking about Villa post-Newcastle to what it was like talking about Villa post-Hull, uh, it, it's two totally different atmospheres. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's not even necessarily because it's Sherwood and not Lambert. I mean, like, like with Lambert... I don't know how really how terrible he was, but maybe more we needed just a change for the sake of change. Yeah, it could be. Um, I and I think now that we've gotten to see a little bit of Sherwood, I think his personality is better suited for where this club is. Lambert I think was so just, as well. Yeah, Lambert was just too taciturn. He was really quiet. He was sort of somber. And when you're a big club who's struggling. That's not what your fans want to see. And yeah, maybe it, it turns out it's not what I wanted to see. I didn't realize it, but I, it turns out I hated it. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things you just don't realize how much you dislike it until you see what the alternative is. And it's like, oh, wow, that sucked. Yeah, better than the other way around of having it one way, switching it, and then missing what you had. It's, it's definitely the opposite, and it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, thing, the thing that I really like about Sherwood is if... If this goes sour, I still think he's got the right attitude to, you know, maybe help us pop up if we somehow drop into the championship at this point. Yeah, I, th I think so as well, and that's because, I mean, I think he he really gets, he's more of a player manager, you know, he, like, it seems like the guys like him, and at least for, for the younger players, which is what it's going to take to get us back up, is a proven record of, of that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um... But yeah, and I've so loved the backlash to Villa fans rushing on the field. Villa fans who are doing nothing but celebrating joyfully for the most part. And everyone talks about... The fans about who came on after the match had ended. Yeah, those, those that came on after the match had ended. And realistically, I mean, they're, they're idiots for thinking so, but the ones that came in that big mob uh, thought they had heard the final whistle. Yeah, yeah, I mean... It's not like they were rushing to attack someone. No. They were rushing because, oh my god, we won, and it turns out they were a minute early because they're idiots. And yeah. yes, they are idiots. I, I don't take that away from them. Uh, but it's not like they're a violent mob. But also, the BBC kind of are idiots also because they put the match at 530 yeah, absolutely. Give everyone in a fiercely contested local derby that had ended with an incredible gut punch just four days earlier. Uh, give them an entire day to drink, and you don't expect some sort of trouble. Uh, 
I think Aston Villa are a little bit responsible for putting uh, West Brom fans above Villa fans in the North Stand. Yeah, but that's just where the the away fans are, and then when when you have the bigger allocation for the cup, I'm not I'm not entirely sure like where they're all supposed to go. That's something they need to look into, though. I mean, maybe you move them all to the north end of the Ellis Stand or the Trinity Stand. Um, and let them be on one end of the stand in both the bottom and upper levels. Yeah. So the, the Doug Ellis stand, since it only has two levels. Uh, but move them there so that they're, you know West Brom fans are above West Brom fans, so they're not going to throw crap down on them. Like seats. Yeah, exactly. And, and to be really clear, I think the number of West Brom fans who are being idiots was probably about the same as the number of Aston Villa fans who are being idiots. I don't think all the West Brom fans are heathens and part of a violent, seething mob. No, it was a very small percentage. And and it's a joy to make fun of West Brom fans. It makes me so happy. But as I've pointed out numerous times online, I bet I would get along with 99% of West Brom fans. We all like football. We all like, you know, the Premier League. I don't see why I would dislike these people. It's just fun to make fun of the 1% that are kind of dumb. Yeah, and I'm sure there are 1% of Villa fans that are kind of dumb, so they they can have their laugh making fun of them. <laughs> Might be more than 1%. So. Have you seen Twitter? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, eventually Twitter got Lambert sacked, so... Yeah, it's true. So, But I just, you know, I've, I, I don't get the moral outrage over the rushing the pitch, and I kind of enjoy the fact that Villa are now sort of, for lack of better words, villains. Uh, yeah, vi- vilified by the media when... Not too long ago, uh, BBC had tweeted, like, what's better than a pitch invasion? And it was about West Brom having, what, come up to the Premier League or won, won something in the Cup, I guess. Obviously not won the Cup, but... Yeah, and they, they had some tweet from Match of the Day about ain't nothing better than a uh, FA Cup pitch invasion. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Um, and And if you look at that, Yes, there's a few idiots, and they probably did stupid things, but by and large, that's a jubilant crowd who are nothing more than ecstatic. There's and nothing there, about the Dark Ages there. There really weren't a ton of stewards there. No, there weren't. And again, that is probably on Aston Villa. Right? It's it's a huge match with big implications. You maybe need to have more stewards available. Well, judging by the attendance this year, they just probably weren't expecting that many people. But we knew it was pretty much sold out. We've known that for a, a week or so. But, I guess yeah. so, but you'd have, you'd have to get a lot of people in a week, maybe. Okay. There were probably probably no amount of stewards was going to hold back. The oh crowd. God, no, no, and um, and I mean, you know, you hear stories of oh God, the crowd threatened Callum McManaman, and then you see the video of Callum McManaman throwing his shoulders and his elbows into onrushing fans who seem to want to have nothing to do with him. He no, just takes him out. It just happened that McManaman was there and the fan was trying to run by him. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and again, like I said in the post that I wrote about this, it's impossible to see what the fan was saying. But Oh, yeah, you'd, you'd, there'd be no way of knowing. Yeah, by the way the guy bounced back up after McManaman hit him and kept running, it was clear he had no intent to do anything with McManaman. He was trying to get to the center of the pitch, not to the player. Yeah, even after he got tripped. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And if it were me, I might have bounced up and had a few words at the very least and then realized what an idiot I was and run away. You what, mate? Yeah. <laughs> had a little bit of banter with McManaman. Yeah. Got a uh, but, yeah, it just... Uh, if you want a good take on the, um, on the pitch invasions from the national media, check out uh, the Guardian's Football Weekly podcast from Monday. Uh, Barry Glendening talks about it in, in some depth, and, and he takes a really rational approach. He says, there were a lot of idiots, but I don't know why everyone's up in arms. Um, and, and it was nice to hear someone from the national media coming and saying, this is stupid, why are we so worried about this? Yeah, rather than condemning the fans to having to watch the match from a cage. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and his reaction was, yeah, it was probably dumb, but it sure as hell isn't a return to the dark ages. No. And and that Phil McNulty column was just a bunch of hogwash. Yeah, exactly. They were just, I mean, I think they were just looking for page views, really. And, I don't know, I, I mean, I guess I guess you could carry it away. I know that feeling. 
<laughs> we, it, it we've happened. never done that. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I think uh, Mark Lawrenson was another person who got carried away and got a Twitter question from Mark Bannister at 1874FC saying, what animal or which animal most closely resembles Mark Lawrenson? God, I, uh, I was thinking about this, and I'm struggling to come up with something. Because uh, what animal draws attention to itself, uh, puts a spotlight on itself, only to talk about the indignity of the world? Yeah, not too many animals, but I don't know. Like, first first glimpse, I mean, maybe a walrus? I mean, he's not like like a huge guy, but I don't know. <laughs> I kind of like that one. Uh Ah, oh, God, I don't know. I just, I don't know what to think of the guy. It was just, it was such a thing of BS. He looks a bit like Paul McCartney, I think. Yeah, he kind of does. In a weird way. And at this point, I feel like Paul McCartney is sort of a feral animal. So maybe that counts. Um, I don't know. It just, and the, the irony of the fact that the match was on at the time it was on because the BBC wanted it. Uh, because they want that on TV. And then... They kept the cameras on there, they kept showing it, and then decried the outrage. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, you can have one or the other. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and as God only knows how many people have pointed out on Twitter, if Bradford City do this, does anyone give a damn? And the no, they're the darlings not. then if they do that, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and everyone celebrates the joy and the passion of the cup and the fans that rushed onto the pitch. I really, I kind of wish we would have drawn them to just to get revenge on them, but I mean, I, I don't think Liverpool Blackburn's the worst draw. Arsenal, no. obviously, is who you uh, want to avoid there. Everyone's sort of assuming Liverpool comes out of that one, the winner. Uh, do you think it's as, as tied up as that? Uh, no, I, I don't think it's already been decided, no, because Blackburn held them to nil at Anfield, even though they were outshot by a lot, but I don't know. I think Liverpool, they've been playing really well lately. But, no, it's its its obviously not decided. Maybe still some magic of the cup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I it's really not hope... be until April, the first weekend, or April 7th, I guess. Yeah, so Liverpool is going to have a little bit of fixture congestion right around there uh, because of the stupid UEFA regulations with Champions League and uh, domestic cup fixtures during the week. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know. I it'll probably be Liverpool, but it wouldn't actually blow me away to see them lose. No, I don't. I mean, especially because it's like it would go to extra time there, and then if you're on the road. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's if it were at Anfield, I would expect them to put it away, but they couldn't put it away at Anfield. So the fact that it's at it's away for them. I don't know. I could see them losing that and, and Villa getting a, a nice draw into the semis. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I guess that leads us to our next question. Another one of our writers, RJ Sepich, on Twitter, uh, saying, something I've wondered and might post on this worth discussing, who starts at goalkeeper at Wembley? Which brings me back, of course, to Brad Guzan's article that we saw come out on the Players' Tribune a couple weeks ago talking about how last time Villa went to Wembley, he flew out his whole family... And then Brad Friedel started in goal. And, and he's not owed anything because it's a different manager, so he can't even pull that card at this point. Um, but, but Mr. O'Neill. Yeah. yeah, just like, I feel badly for Guzan because... The he's, way obviously the number, he's obviously the number one, you know, like... Yeah, Given has been playing wonderfully in the cup. Exactly. Like, Given has been playing well enough that if Sherwood said, hey, I'm starting Given in the Premier League, I'd go, eh, sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, another one of our writers, Alex Carson, even said a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago maybe, uh, why not give Given a chance in the league? Yeah, and and he could and be... I guess that was after Burnmouth, because Given played very well that day. Yeah, um, I think, I don't know, I think, uh, I think Given gets the start. I think Sherwood sticks with him. He does seem like a player's manager, and I can't see him ripping that out from Given. I think Guzan starts the final, though, if we get to the final. You think? I think so. All right. I'd be okay with that. Just, I mean, be just because he is kind of the undisputed number one. 
Yeah, um, I think I think the really nice thing about Villa is, well, Guzan is our number one in terms of quality. There really isn't too much difference between Guzan and Gibbon. No, and it's really a good luxury to have, and we almost didn't think we had it. But then last year, Gibbon goes on loan to Middlesbrough, was pretty good there, comes back, and we're like, well, we're paying Gibbon all this money, but it, at least he looks to be pretty reliable if, if we were to need him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not Jed Steer, you know. Do you? I'm not sure if he would stick around, but if he would, do you sign Given as backup? Because his contract is up this year. Oh, it is. A, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you sign him as goalkeeper, coach slash backup. I don't know. I I saw some rumor about a week ago, something like that, that uh, Chelsea are interested in possibly bringing in Given to replace Czech. Just because it would be cheaper? Yeah. Um, and, I, I mean, check, to have, Check's going to be gone. Check's going to start somewhere next year. Yeah, and they're determined to have one old man on the roster beto- behind Courtois. And I guess you, you probably would qualify as a homegrown player, so mm-hmm. that would be something useful for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think Gibbon sticks around, but if he doesn't, that actually does leave a pretty huge hole for Villa to fill because I'm not sure if Steer is uh, ready to be a number two keeper. Yeah, and I don't know if Segrist is either, but I mean, I think he's he's still pretty young. Still, probably needs a couple more loans, I guess. But in keeper years, I believe that Segrist is two years old. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I I don't think you can actually even consider playing a keeper in the Premier League until they're at least twenty nine. Yeah, and except maybe like Courtois who comes on once in <laughs> a generation. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I think Given has, has given us a really nice option. Uh, I think he starts both the semi and the final if we end up making the final, but uh, like you said, it wouldn't shock me to see Guzan start the final if that happens. God, he would be devastated. <laughs> Who, Guzan or Given or yeah, both? Yeah, Guzan. Can you imagine Guzan playing his entire career at Aston Villa and, you know, they only get to cup finals. It's the only chance at glory he has, and because... He was number two. Martin O'Neill doesn't let him have the first one. And because he's number one, no one else lets him have the rest. Yeah. Just poor Brad goes in. He's going to get screwed. It'll, it'll be okay. He'll win the World Cup in 2018. The first <laughs> the first one was horrible because he saved all those penalties to get to the final and then just denied. <laughs> and they just got screwed by Martin O'Neill. <laughs> like, literally, did that mean nothing? Like, yeah. I, it like, just... I got us here, basically. You know, like... At some point, if you're Tim Sherwood, aren't you praying, if we make the final, aren't you praying, like, someone in the last week gets injured? I think so, just so you don't have to make the decision. Because the final happens after the Premier League season, so uh, you could just, you could hope that someone gets injured and they have all summer to recover, and you've, you've got your pick made for you for the final. Yeah, like, don't, don't put this on me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Avoid any responsibility. <laughs> um... <laughs> Are you excited to see Villa in Wembley? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, As someone watching from across the ocean, does it really make that much of a difference that they're playing in Wembley to you? If I don't know. I, I feel like if the stadium's full, because it's a massive place. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be a great atmosphere. Um, you know, if Liverpool make it, you know their fans are going to be there and loud as all get out. But we know for a fact that Villa traveling fans are maybe the best in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, but it, I mean, obviously not. We don't have thirty thousand traveling fans every week, so it'll be it'll be, of course, just the nor- the normal traveling fans, and then some some others, I guess. Yeah. And if it sounds anything like Villa Park did on Saturday, it would be amazing. Sorry, my phone is ringing at me. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I opened okay. the phone today, so. Uh. So, yeah, I, I, if it sounds anything like it did on Saturday, Wembley should be rocking, because Villa Park on Saturday was incredible. It was the best I've heard it in years. Yeah, and that's probably because of the most people that have been there in years. And I mean, ho- hopefully that trend continues. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure what is, is been, has been giving a lot of people hope. Uh, Steve Green actually asked us on Facebook, uh, saying, are we getting carried away despite the winds over wet sandwich? And what do you make of Bob Bradley being linked with director of football at the club? But 
I think, I mean, I think both the wins over West Brom were huge just because the, like, when they came. We needed, we needed two wins that week. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And I think we might be getting a little carried away, but I honestly think that what we've seen out of Tim Sherwood in almost all of the matches thus far, maybe second half versus Newcastle is an exception, we've seen Villa playing above the level of what they were playing with Paul Lambert and closer to the level of what we all expected Villa to be playing at. Exactly, which is like a minimum comfortably 11th or 12th, you know. Yeah, and if you ask me, does Paul Lambert's Villa, you know, beat some of Swansea, Sunderland, QPR, Burnley, I say, yeah, maybe not. Uh, but do Villa on paper, the Villa that we all expected this season, beat some of those teams? Yeah, I think we can get 10 points before the season is out, and 10 points is safe this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm, the saying goes, a, a good manager can make a team 10% better, but a bad manager can make them 30% worse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti said that, but... I mean, if, if Sherwood gets Villa to play at how they should play, they'll be fine. Yeah, they're not playing like a top-six team right now. And they don't need to be. And, that's and they're not even playing like a 10th-place team, really, but they're playing like a team who should be able to beat the bottom four or five. Yeah, and I, like... That's what we said earlier in the year is that there are so many teams that should be under us that are just flat out worse. Yeah, and given the way the rest of our schedule lines up... Um, and given the way have, the rest of the other battlers' schedule line, lines up, they don't have easy run-ins either. Exactly, yeah. We've got, we've got a nice... I don't want to say it's an easy run-in because we've got a little nasty stretch in the middle there, but we've got a lot of opportunities to pick up points. I mean, Everton at Villa Park. Um, exactly, Everton have been terrible. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think Everton are better than Villa. They should be better than Villa. They might be out of the Europa League by then. Um, but Everton at Villa Park is a spot where we could get a sneaky, unsuspected three points. They're only three points ahead of us. Yeah, I uh, the other day I was looking at the schedule, and I was trying to be optimistic but realistic, saying things like, we're going to lose to Chelsea. We're going to yeah, lose, you know, some uh, of those matches. Draw, no chance, you know. Yeah, just, just saying we would lose, and even with this sort of realistic optimism, I could see a way to Villa getting 42 or 44 points, whatever it was I wrote. I wrote this in our chat room the other day. I think it was 44. Um, it's possible. It's it's not going to happen, but there's a way that Villa could end the season on 39 within a really not a stretch of the imagination. Well, if Sherwood gets the five more wins that he wants, that will, that will put us at 40. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think and you're he not going to need 40 to stay up. Yeah. Um, so are we getting carried away? Yeah, maybe. I, I, I think maybe even dreaming of 40 or 44 is getting carried away. But the way they're playing right now, I don't feel as worried about relegation. I mean, the, the way they played the first half against West Brom and then looked for all the world that it was just going to be a point but somehow somehow got the win, I think that that really... That kind of showed me I, I don't think they're going to go down. I thought I thought we might go down after losing to Hull just because it was so bad, and I thought there was no way that Lambert was going to get the boot. But, I don't know, com completely different feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And and then that, that, that league win against West Brom, um, yes, it was lucky that we got that call. I'm, I'm not saying it was a bad call or anything, but it's lucky to get a penalty in the dying seconds of a match. But I can't imagine Paul Lambert's Aston Villa actually trying so hard as to be in a position to get a penalty in the last seconds. Exactly. Uh, um, yeah. I see them settling for that draw. It looks, yeah, them, yeah, settling or just coming to accept it is, you know, kind of whatever. Well, yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should add the points here, but it's it's not going to happen. Um, yeah, it's it's been fun watching Villa, and and that's the best part of this is I have enjoyed watching Aston Villa in the past you know month. Yeah, and I mean that's what it should be. It's it's strange, but <laughs> <laughs> what is this feeling? <laughs> it's not even like Lambert is a fun killer either because that, like his Norwich teams were good. They scored goals. I don't know. Mm -hmm. They played football like. But I don't know. Maybe we just saw this week his his old house is up for sale. Maybe if you saw some of the decor, maybe he does hate fun. <laughs> Those pictures were terrible, and I really hope uh, that they weren't actually Paul Lambert's decor. 
because good lord, that man has bad taste if that's the case. Either the person who, who moved in before him or maybe just the stuff they put up to try to sell the house. I enjoyed the uh, pool table with the Harley Davidson lamp above it. Yeah. Because I can't think of anyone less likely to drive a Harley Davidson than uh, Paul Lambert. Therefore, Paul Lambert definitely owns at least one Harley. <laughs> exactly. Um, I yeah. I it's a new team. It's it's a new revitalized team uh, with Sherwood giving chances to the players. Uh, I wrote up. I, Brad Guzan was on another show this morning, Soccer Morning, and I wrote up the interview. And Guzan was uh, thrilled at the chance that players who don't who hadn't gotten chances under Lambert were being given chances under Sherwood. Yeah, so I mean, I guess in Zogbia, which I, I wrote a bit about earlier in the week, and I don't I don't think in Zogbia necessarily deserves it, but I think he deserves to have a shot to prove that he deserves it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I still don't think he's the best choice. I still think it should be Carlos Hill, but he's not bad right now, and the fact that he's been giving a chance and proving himself is a good sign. Yeah, exactly, and I mean, it's unlucky, I guess, for Hill, who was basically cemented in there, and I don't think it's a case that he was Lambert's by, he was Lambert's guy, and that's why Sherwood's benching him, I think. I don't know, I think he just wants to see something from him, and maybe maybe we'll see him this weekend with Grealish suspended. Yeah, uh, that that would make a lot of sense. Um, but, I'm, I mean, at least we'll have Scott Sinclair, who's been on fire, I guess, really, and maybe Benteke back. It looks like Benteke's going to be back. I would think I would think that Hill might be the first off the bench with Grealish suspended. Yeah. Uh, the, also, can we talk about how weird it is that Grealish is, you know, one of the first two choices as a sub for Sherwood? Yeah, I think Sherwood probably thinks he's the next Harry Kane and wants to to do that again to just prove that Harry Kane wasn't a fluke and that he was responsible, maybe just for his ego again. But who yeah. cares? Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing is, in both of the matches we've seen him in the past week, Grealish has looked. Uh, Electric. Much better. Yeah, yeah, he's electric. That is the perfect word. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was it was like the the first match against Hall of the season when Grealish came on and got three guys booked in eight minutes or something. Yeah, absolutely. He's looked absolutely incredible, uh, just flying around the pitch. Um, yeah, had that assist to Sinclair, like you were saying earlier. And God, and what a great assist that was too, off of off of a uh, off of a West Brom set piece. Yeah, and almost almost scored on that in the first game against West Brown. Yeah, exactly. So he's been looking great. Uh, the suspension just gives him a week to rest. Uh, yeah. Played on Monday in the yeah, U21 league. Who actually won. Yeah. Hey, look at that. It's going all throughout. <laughs> um, I mean, and, and there's little things here, things that I usually would write off as stupid, but stuff like um, Sherwood moving the reserves training pitch to be adjacent to the first team training pitch. Yeah, um, that, that just seems like a smart thing to do. And, and it's paid off because he's been able to call over players. You know, Luis Kinsella has been training with the first team a fair amount, which, you know, suddenly was huge because everyone in the first team defense was injured. Yeah, because he was in the squad. Yeah, exactly. And so I, it's just these little tiny shifts in attitude that I've been loving so much. Yeah, and bring, bring Petrov back. I mean, I guess we, we talked about that, but... Still, it just those those kind of things. I mean, they add up. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're. It's yeah. I I know it's it's been so long since I've actually enjoyed talking about and writing about and watching Aston Villa that this is like like first love again. It's like oh hi. It's like oh I'm happy to see you. Yeah, exactly. It's it's incredible. Um, I, I guess that's why I'm not saying anything coherent. I'm just too <laughs> filled with joy at like holy shit, this is cool. Yeah, but, I mean, I think hopefully it could continue. I mean, I guess we have Sunderland on Saturday. It's, um, we've done daylight savings in the U.S. Obviously, they haven't in Europe, so it's going to be an hour later than usual if you're over here with us. But it's going to be That's on right. Saturday. What? That's right. I had forgotten about that. So, yeah, so 11, 11 Eastern. Sweet. But, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, maybe actually watchable on the West Coast. Maybe not have to DVR it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a fair amount of our West Coast fans were enjoying having an FA Cup that was watchable. Yeah, Saturday. exactly. Yeah, that was. I mean, it's just going to be a, a half hour earlier, so. Mhm. Mm 
So, um, yeah, it's... I think we've got a chance at three points at Sunderland. Sunderland have not looked good lately. They haven't won in the league since January 31st, and that's against Burnley. And, I mean, remember, Sunderland were a team that, for all rights, headed into April were dead last year. And then they put together one of the most ferocious streaks we've ever seen and saved I, themselves. I thought they were going down last year, really. I think everyone did. And, and I mean, it, it took a miracle streak, and they pulled it out of nowhere. Sunderland are not a good team. No, I, I mean, I don't think they're one of the three worst teams, but... Oh, no. They're, they're not relegation fodder this year. Circumstances, I mean, they, they could well go down. They're just a point above Villa. They're 16th with 26 points. Villa is still 17th with 25, but... Firmly, yeah. firmly out of the bottom three. Three points over QPR. Which, so, hey, keep that up. <laughs> exactly, and... After after Sunderland's going to be Swansea before we head into that tough stretch of Man United, Spurs, Liverpool, or Blackburn winner, and then Man City. So next two matches pretty important to get points. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, and I think it's possible to get six points out of the next two matches and make it nine from nine. Yeah, and, um, and even if even if we were to get four, I think that would be huge. It's not outside of the realm of possibility that if we got six points and nothing else on the rest of the season, we would still be safe. No, not at all, because I've I've said for a while, I think since December, I think 32 might keep you up. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. That being um, said, let's not try it. <laughs> yeah, God, no. Um, this weekend, if you're looking for rooting interests, uh, QPR play Crystal Palace, so root for Crystal Palace. Uh... They're five points ahead of us. They're at 30 already. Yeah, they're, they're well safe. Uh, Leicester City play Hull City. Root for Hull. Uh, even though Hull are only two points ahead of us, if we could get a win and Hull uh, lost, that actually might not be terrible. A draw wouldn't be that bad, really, either. Yeah, a draw might actually be the best outcome there, because I don't think there's any way Leicester save themselves. It's do or die for Leicester. I think if, if they don't win against Hull, they, they can almost pack it in. Yeah, um... So yeah, okay, root for QPR, root for a whole Leicester draw. Uh, West Bromwich Stoke, root for Stoke. Uh, just to watch West Bromwich get dragged into this again. Uh, Burnley play City, and that that's only going one way. Hopefully the goal difference is, is going down by a lot there, because we have them on the last day, and although I don't think it will come down to it now, I guess since Sherwood's come in, I mean, it, it still could. Yeah. Um, but. And it's just. And you said Burnley were out of the bottom three. Burnley are still. They're 19. No, no. I think you meant someone else. I'm not sure who. No, Palace. There we go. Okay. Palace are, are very clear. Um, Chelsea, Southampton doesn't matter to us. Everton, Newcastle. Root for Newcastle. I, I want to see Everton dragged into the muck. Yeah, I'd like to finish above Everton. Yeah, that would make me really happy. So. Um, I guess those are your rooting interests for the weekend. Hull, Hull, Leicester to draw, Palace to beat QPR, Everton to lose to uh, Newcastle. Not all too unlikely either, you know. No, not, not even off, vaguely. Off the Euro League. Yeah, there's a really good chance that Villa could pull. God, what would it be? They could pull six points clear of the drop this weekend. Yeah, that that would be massive. They could pull six points clear of the drop, and if they did so there's a decent chance that they could move themselves up to 15th. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, six points and two teams clear of the drop would be huge this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty pretty big boat. I mean, we got to control it ourselves, I guess, against Sunderland. And still a lot of injuries in that back line. Yeah. Be, I mean, Villar, fitness test, so maybe... And Sissoko Richardson's still out, so looks like it's going to be low in that left back. Who sure would have said looks like it's been he's been playing left back his whole life, mm-hmm. which is encouraging. And I don't know. I think it's good to see Lowton back in because a couple years ago he played every game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he's been looking good. Game, he picked up a suspension for ten yellows, but he had played it like every minute. Yeah, he uh, he looked like trash for the first fifteen minutes on Saturday. Oh yeah. And then just turn it around, and suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, this was the Matt Lowton we saw on Tuesday. But for those first 15 minutes, oh, God. And Bakuna didn't really have a great half at, 
first half at right back, but I turned it around in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. No one really had a good first half. Yeah. Uh, Sherwood, Sherwood apparently, by all accounts, just tore into them in the dressing room. Yeah, as, as expected and as deserved, I guess. And it was a good thing he did, but... Yeah, as deserved. Um, we were talking relegation scenarios. I, I was doing the math, and uh, we were talking relegation scenarios. Last year, I did that series predicting with the odds and everything. Uh, that will be coming back this year if Aston Villa are still in it, but it's going to be a while. Uh, because as of right now, Aston Villa alone still have 59,000 possibilities of what can happen for the rest of the season. Yeah, still still quite a few games left, and I'm also so going to be... we're going to wait until it gets to a smaller number. Slightly. <laughs> I'm not doing the math on 59,000 possibilities for seven teams. Never told me the odds. <laughs> Uh, just, I, I'll just go and tell you what the odds are for relegation, and, and we'll call it good. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm also going to be bringing back the, uh, the relegation poaching series that I did last year, looking at who yeah. who we'd like, I guess, from, I don't know, the teams that are that are down there, Leicester, Burnley, QPR, and then... Leicester has this, this young, small winger kid. Uh, some, some Albrighton or something like that. He might be interested. Never heard of him, but I heard he's on massive wages. <laughs> so 100% not worth it. Uh, you know, if something happened in Crystal Palace, they, they have that Scottish kid too. Uh, maybe maybe the Albrighton and the Scottish kid could uh, it could work together. They should just go form a new team. Just them <laughs> two. We folks united. <laughs> it's just the shortest players in all of England. They would have at least 10 fans. <laughs> Kirsten would be one of them. And Matt. Matt would make their graphics. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the relegation coaching stuff. And, and I'm feeling more comfortable in terms of relegation. Talking about it doesn't terrify me right now, which is nice. Yeah, a couple weeks ago was a pretty frightening prospect, but... Yeah, it, it seems to be a lot better right now. So, you know, at least we're, we're moving on up a little bit. I guess uh, back to Sunderland, last seven meetings, Villa have not lost three wins, four draws. And... Three wins, four draws, and no, no losses. losses? Nice. Yeah, no losses. And Sunderland at home, just two wins in their last 15. Oh. Well then, uh, this seven draws, this... six losses. I mean, they're they're really the draw specialists with fourteen draws this season. Just half their matches have ended in draws. Yeah, it's uh, they're sort of the the anti Tim Sherwood team at that yeah, point. Yeah, Gus Poyer always settles for the draw. Like, yeah, if we get a point yeah. every match, we'll stay up. It's true. In in the league this year, if you drew every match, you would be guaranteed safety. I feel like usually you'd stay up with 38. It'd at least be close. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would take a hell of a year to drop you with 38. But, yeah, also Sunderland more have drawn more often against Villa than any other team in the Premier League in their really? history 11 times. Wow. that's uh, So So we should be putting money on the draw then, the, between Gaspoyer and that stat. I guess so, but, but also but the other stat of that we haven't... I mean, I guess we three wins and four draws in the last seven. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and Sunderland haven't even scored in five of the last six, and the one they scored in, it was six to one. Yeah. So they might as well not have scored. Yeah. Um, it's no 7-0 like Bayern put on yesterday, but uh, six to one is a pretty big beatdown. Yeah, that was, and that was the game that season that really, I think after that we knew we were staying up. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think if Villa could do something like that, I think it would put us all totally at ease. I think so, and it would put the players at ease in a good way, not that they would relax and think job done, is that they could think, okay, we actually are a decent side. Yeah, we can do this. Um, you know, I can see Benteke coming on as a second-half sub. I don't expect him to start after a hip injury. Um, no, and after... after they got a 2-0 against West Brom without him and played fairly well. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I can see him coming on as a second half sub, banging home a goal or two. Um, God, this is a weird feeling, expecting 
things from this team. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to go ahead and make a prediction. Say we're we gonna are win not making predictions. <laughs> we we did really well the last time we didn't make a prediction, so we are keeping that streak going. Well, yeah, we're so we're gonna stick with that. Did, I don't know. I guess we did say that we thought we could win. And that is all the further I am going with this. Villa could possibly win the match against Sunderland. Yeah, we we could win. There is a non-zero chance that a win will happen. I'm not ruling out a win. <laughs> Those are our predictions for the week. You can take them straight to Bet365 and see what you can get for them. I really have a special on if you think Aston Villa could win. <laughs> <laughs> the odds are great on that one. Oh, yeah, one, uh, f- final thing. Wanted to apologize. Uh, apparently on iTunes, we've been hearing an ad before our podcast, and we didn't do that. We're not getting any money from that or set it up or anything. So I'd like to apologize yeah. for that. Yeah, our apologies. And it, it, the, when last I checked, it was a loud, obnoxious Old Navy ad, which, God, nobody wants. Um, so we're trying to figure that out with Blog Talk Radio, why they're inserting ads for us, uh, but our apologies for that, definitely. We we don't want you hearing that, uh, unless we're getting money for it, in which case, you can hear all the ads we need. Yeah, you, you can hear 30 minutes of thirty minutes of ads for 30 minutes of podcasts. Like. Have, have you tried audiblepodcast.thenovos.com? <laughs> have you tried ads? MailChimp. <laughs> We we will give you all the ads we need to get money, but until we find out that's a viable way of doing things, uh, uh, our apologies. You shouldn't be hearing ads like that. Yeah, but we remember, uh, outside of iTunes, we are also on Stitcher, and apparently have not been hearing ads there. So if if you want to make the switch, that's fine with us, I guess. I mean, obviously, it affects us in no way. But um, also on YouTube as well, still, but. Remember, match is going to be an hour later if you're across the pond this week. So we'll still, I mean, won't change anything, obviously. We'll still have everything for you at 7500toholt.com. So until next time on the Holcast, I've been Jack Grimsey for Robert Lintot. Thanks for listening.